I don't have to tell you guys that life can be hard, do I? From the all-consuming loss of a loved one to the nagging frustrations of the dog next door, we all face troubles. How much more in the last two years? The question is, where is God when it's all going wrong? Shouldn't life be working out better if God is looking after me? Why am I facing all these hardships right now? Does my suffering prove that God has forgotten me? This morning we're going to walk through Psalm 77 and find an answer to our question, has God forgotten me in my suffering? But first, here's some background if you're new to the Bible or this part of the Bible. You might already know that this month we're in a summer series in the Psalms. This part of the Bible, Scripture, was written as the songbook for God's people, Israel. Like the songs that we listen and sing now in our worship services, the Psalms encompass the whole range of human experience and emotion. From happiness to mourning, from suffering to abundance, from confidence to doubt, and more. They call us to a growing relationship with God, to relate rightly to him through praise and adoration, confession, thanksgiving and cries for help. The Psalms are full of rich human expression and can help guide us in prayer. As sometimes we struggle to put words on the things that we're thinking or feeling. Well, what do we know about the context for this psalm? The first line, sometimes referred to as verse zero, gives us some clues. To the choir master, according to Jedjathan. This was most likely a style or tune for the psalm to be sung, ascribed to this particular choir master, Jedjathan. The next line points us towards the human author of this psalm. Asaph was a Levite dedicated to service in in music in the temple at the time of King David. And on plain reading, it seems like Asaph wrote this, but the terms of Asaph can also mean concerning or dedicated to. So this psalm may have been written much later than the time of Asaph himself. And many scholars suggest it was. It was that impending invasion and conquest of Assyria, by Assyria, of the northern part, northern kingdom Israel, uh, that led to this psalm's creation. But whenever it was penned, there was clearly a threat or calamity facing the nation of Israel. And while we can't always answer these questions about all the little details, it's good for us to realise that the Bible is a historical book. These were events that occurred in a particular time and a particular place. The words didn't just fall out of the sky without any context or background. So let's dive into this psalm now and see what God is up to in your day of trouble. In a psalm, we get to listen to the inner workings of a relationship with God. Let's listen now closely to these words so that we might learn to share the same experience of confidence that this psalmist comes to know. The first part of this psalm is about feeling forgotten. 
The writer feels like God has forgotten him in his day of trouble. Verse 1 begins with a cry for help for God to hear this man and his nation Israel to which he belongs. This line has the hint of God remembering a promise, he will hear me. Right from the beginning, this psalmist turns his cry towards God. And clearly, this hard trouble was affecting him. Just look at verses 2 to 4. His hand is reaching out without wearying. His soul refuses to be comforted. He moans, his spirit faints. He's so troubled that he can't even speak. His suffering is causing him to feel like God has forgotten him. But even in the midst of feeling hard-pressed, notice where he turns. He cries out aloud to God. Where do you turn when things go south? When life presses in on every side? Do you cry aloud for help? Who do you think will help you? Or do you seek comfort, avoid what's going on at all costs? When days of trouble come, for me, I often turn towards myself. I try and fix the problem. Not that some problems are even able to be fixed. But I try and manipulate all the puzzle pieces so that they all can just fit back together again. Until often... Always, I realise that the pieces aren't just jumbled, but they're broken and there's pieces that are missing. I can't get this back together how I want. Then I go and seek God to help me. But why don't I cry out to God first? I know I need to. I think for at least me, there's, there's a pride involved in this. I don't want to admit my utter helplessness before God. I just want to contribute something. And so I try to help myself until I finally realise that I'm helpless. I think there's also another reason, and that is that thinking prayer doesn't do anything. That God is God, he's sovereign, he's in charge, and I should just resign myself to whatever he's got planned for me. But the more I see myself as a child and God as my loving Heavenly Father, the more I want to pray because I know he cares and I need his help. Just like our one-year-old daughter Meredith who cries out, Dad, 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 when she's climbed up onto a chair and has no idea how to get back down again. That's, that's the picture of us. That's the picture of you and me. Children who are dependent on our Heavenly Father. And we see here a beautiful picture of what prayer is. It's confidence that God is the one who hears and acts. God is the one to turn to when things go bad. Even in the face of war and hostile takeover, there is still reason to trust. Despite feeling like God is absent, that he's forgotten you in the daily or life-shattering troubles of your life. You can cry out to God for comfort, to comfort you in honest, thoughtful words of prayer. 
You could even use this psalm as a starting point as you pray. Read a line. Pray. Read another line. Say what comes into your head. The next thing. Go, go through it in that way. But suffering does cause us to lose heart, to feel forgotten by God, doesn't it? What about all the promises of God? Will God remember his promise, his promises that he's made to his people? Promises to bless them, to make a great nation from them. Promises to bless the whole earth through his people. Promises to deliver them from suffering, to never forsake them to utter destruction. It seems like the feeling of being forgotten might be on the money. God doesn't seem to be remembering his promises right now in what's going on in this psalm. What if the situation hasn't changed? What if prayers seem to be going unanswered for weeks, months, years? Well, this psalm psalm shows us what that's like. He is a child of God crying out in his distress and the problem doesn't seem to be going away, does it? It seems like God's promises are a distant ship on the horizon. Hard to tell if it's there or not. We need to be clear here, suffering isn't a simple equation. That is, if you do good, then bad won't happen to you. Or if you do bad, then your life will just be a mess. Or if you are a Christian, life will just be easy. Cruise control, sit back. These things are often not true. At verse 4, the psalmist turns his prayer to God. He holds God responsible for his inability to sleep, which raises the question, is God responsible for our situations? Well, yes, if you believe that God is God. That is, he, if he's infinite in power, wisdom and holiness, his plans and purposes are perfect, and he brings things about for his most holy and infallible ends. But he neither approves or authors sin itself. This comes only from fallen creatures. And yet we're still held responsible for our decisions and actions, which often contribute to our situations. Not saying they cause what's going on, but often it can be the case. Even so, God somehow still works all these things together for good. If this is beyond your understanding, then join the club. Like I said, the question of suffering won't fully be answered in one sermon. And this is where we need to say with Paul in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, O the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. If this is how God, who is fully sovereign and fully holy, has chosen to reveal how he works in creation, then as created beings far inferior to the designer of the universe, we should submit in humility to his ways. The mystery that we'll expand on in a moment is that God works to grow our trust in him, 
to shape us to be more like Jesus. And this often takes place not just as we're airlifted out from the suffering, but as we walk through the suffering itself. In the midst of his suffering, feeling forgotten by God, this psalmist is asking three questions. Oh, more than three questions. He's asking these questions. Will God remember? Here's the part of the Bible that is this aspect where we Bible-believing Christians, we might get uncomfortable with. At least I know I can. Where the questions of God that he's, he's questioning don't seem to match up with the truth of who God is. As he looks back to the days of old, maybe a bit like the good old days, he's driven to a meditation and search within his own heart. And this leads him to open up before the Lord and question God's justice and goodness. And he's got one single question that's put in six different ways, as you notice in verse 7 to 9. Will the Lord reject us forever? Will he ever be favourable to us? Has his steadfast love run out for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious to us? Has God angrily shut up his compassion toward us? Are these questions maybe a bit uncomfortable for you? Since the overarching story of the Bible tells us God's unending love and mercy, how can we even consider these sort of questions? Don't we read over and over that for those who trust in Jesus, there's no more condemnation from God? Doesn't it say that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases? That God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? These blunt, open, realistic questions don't seem to fit, do they? What the psalmist is saying is that although he may know the truth of God's love, in the events he's going through, they appear to be far from true. His experience is crying out against his solid foundation of knowing who God really is. Feeling forgotten in suffering has led him to, ask, to asking God, do you remember your promises to me? Do you remember your promises to us? In these verses and in many other psalms, God gives you permission to be honest with him. You don't need to have smiling, pat answers when your whole world is crashing down around you. God wants your open and honest heart. He doesn't want you to pretend that everything is okay. God wants you to face suffering with honesty, confident that he won't forget you. Just because you know that everything will turn out for God's glory and your good doesn't mean you won't feel pain, does it? Jesus knew the cross would all work out, but that didn't diminish his suffering. When we feel forgotten, will God remember us? 
How do we know that God will remember his promises to us? Let's keep reading to find out. The song doesn't end here. Feeling forgotten in suffering, crying out to God, questioning him to remember his promises. In the second half, verses 10 to 20, the psalmist begins to remember God's acts. Now this might not seem like a very special thing to do, but this is where real hope comes from. Remembering God's acts in the past can give you assurance for his acts in the future. In verse 10, the psalmist calls himself to answer hard questions, to make his appeal before God, based on God's record of the past. In verses 11 and 12, he repeats the statement four times, highlighting the importance of this. He calls himself to a present action. I will remember, ponder, meditate. And he points forward towards future, ongoing remembering of what the Lord has done. In this section, until the end, the psalm is addressed to God, not just about God. And this shift takes place in verse 11, where God's personal name is used, written as capital L-O-R-D. This highlights a personal relationship as the psalmist speaks and sings to the God that he knows. In verses 13 to 15 begin with the big things about God's character. His holiness, greatness, might and power. These traits are shown for all in his redemption of his people, Jacob and Joseph. The inclusion of these two historical figures ties the story back to Egypt where God brought about a mighty deliverance for the Israelites in rescuing them from slavery. Referred to as the Exodus, which funnily enough is in the book of Exodus, as we heard and read before, this is expanded, written into poem, into song, in the following verses, with vivid pictures of water, rain, lightning and earthquakes. God is master over his creation and he can use it to bring about his own purposes. In verse 19, we see that God's way for his people to go was through this calamity and storm. Perhaps the picture of God parting the waters has been tamed down a bit much by all those cartoons for you or kids' books. Can you imagine, just put yourself in their place, how terrifying it would be to see a body of water just dried up before your eyes. Something humanly impossible, only possible for the creator himself to orchestrate. Moving the wind, water, clouds and earth at his whim. God led the people out of suffering, out of slavery through the trial of crossing a dried-up sea. Like he was just leading sheep from one paddock to another. 
This was a defining event for Israel, which should not be forgotten quickly. God did not forget the Israelites in their suffering, but he showed his mighty acts. He showed by these mighty acts that he still remembered his promises. Believing that someone remembers their promises to you or convincing someone that you haven't forgotten them is pretty hard to do without actions, isn't it? Keeping a promise involves certain actions towards the other person. These are visible, tangible signs of the internal, unseen faithfulness. What does the promise mean, I'll be there for you any time, if you don't ever answer the call? How valuable is the promise to lay down your life for your wife, those vows that you generally make in a wedding? If getting off the couch to do the dishes is too hard for you, What's the promise worth to give your time, talents and treasures to your local church family if you would rather always serve yourself instead of serving others? If God can bring a ragtag nation of people through the Red Sea, if he can deliver over a million helpless people, not an army, just a a bunch of people from the Iron Fist of Egypt, Surely he can deliver them again from this enemy that is now facing them. From the suffering that is at hand. Or restore for himself a people from a conquered and unimpressive nation. Or maintain a remnant of his people, even while they're exiled into foreign lands. For a people who may have been facing conquer by a powerful nation such as the Assyrians. Psalm 77 speaks words of assurance and hope that God will not forget his promises to Israel. Looking back to see God's past acts of deliverance shows us today that he doesn't forget his promises. But to you and me, God has made even greater promises than were given to the Israelites, hasn't he? We are a people much like the Israelites who need to be rescued. Through, Though we're not bonded in slavery to the lords of Egypt, we are born and remain enslaved to sin, that evil nature that lies within us, the nature that chooses to reject God and his rightful place of loving authority over us. and live in a way that our unhealthy, selfish wants become needs, that become demands wielded against each other like swords in public or passive conflicts that start within our hearts. We may feel forgotten by God when life doesn't go how we planned it, but the truth of the matter is that we first forgot him. We turned away. We've run after things that will give us short-term comfort. But God hasn't forgotten you. He doesn't forget his promises to his people. Just like in the psalm, God redeemed his people with a mighty arm 
He bought us back from that slavery that we sold ourselves into. And how did he do it? By taking us through the sea to be free from our enemies? No, it was a much greater act that we can look back on and see how God didn't forget us. When Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the divine Son of God himself, entered into the world he created, and his way was not through force and oppression, but through suffering and servanthood. Jesus Christ lived out this psalm in his own experience of suffering. He cried aloud to God in his day of trouble, kept awake by the thought of what lay ahead, so troubled he couldn't speak, feeling forgotten by his father as he faced the road to Calvary, to the cross, asking, pleading if there might be another way, yet knowing full well there wasn't. Then to go through the sea of suffering, to go to death and back, in order to lead his people, those who trust in his sacrifice on their behalf. Out of slavery to sin and into the promised land of forgiveness. Into the family of God called the church, where all peoples from all nations are welcomed in. We have received a far greater promise than was given to Abraham or Moses. A better covenant with better promises, as Hebrews 8 verse 6 puts it, where sin will be dealt with once and for all. If you're a Christian, part of the gathered people of God, the church, you now have much more reason to trust that God remembers his promises than the writer of this psalm even did. We have confidence based on the path that Jesus walked, not just through the sea, but through dying on a cross, as he proved his dominion over sin and death. God's expanding promise shows that what began with one man, Abraham, would end with all nations of the earth. As all people are given opportunity for freedom through slavery to sin, through faith in Christ. If you're not yet trusting in Christ, don't put it off. Receive these promises that he gives to his children as you accept his death in your place. Speak with me today. Love to chat with you if you're not sure what trusting in Jesus looks like. As we close this sermon... I want you to face the days of trouble that will come in your life. It's certain. To face them with honesty, not denying the pain and suffering, but with a confidence that God will not forget you. I want you to look back through the pages of Scripture and salvation history and see God's mighty acts of redemption that find their climax in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that you can be sure that God will remember his promises to you in Christ. Promises to complete the work in you that he started. 
Promises to never let you be snatched out of his hands. Promises to wipe away every tear from your eye when Jesus returns. Promises to an inheritance of eternal life that is kept safe with God. But I also want you to look back through the pages of your own life stories, the history where God has met you in your suffering, where God has spoken to you his words in, his, in the scripture of hope and life, where he's provided a brother or sister in Christ to walk with you, where he's led you to his people, the church, where he's taught you to love and trust him more. Oftentimes we feel like there's so many reasons to question God's workings in our lives or what's God doing in this world. As we see so much uncertainty, tragedy, suffering and persecution day after day. But we've seen in Psalm 77 that God doesn't forget us in our suffering. Though we might feel forgotten and cry out to God, as we ask him to remember us, we can have hope that as we remember God's mighty acts looking back to the Exodus, but looking even more to the mighty things that he's done as he worked on the cross, we can see that God remembers his promises to his people, his family, and that we can be included into this family as we trust in the mighty acts of Jesus Christ himself. We not only look back at God's works, but can look forward with a sure hope. Because Jesus was raised to life, if we are united with him, we can be confident of being raised too. We have a future hope in the face of suffering that will not only make all things right, but that we will be renewed and resurrected to a new life a new body free from sin and death, where we'll enjoy loving him and loving each other forever. Let's thank him for that now as we close. Father God, we confess that we are prone to forgetting you. In our suffering, we can feel like you have forgotten us as we wonder whether you'll remember us in our days of trouble. We thank you that you have shown us mighty acts that display your love to us. Thank you that we can look back on the greatest act of all time, Jesus' death and resurrection, so that we can be sure you will keep your promises to us. Please help us to cry out to you and not turn towards ourselves when times get hard. Help us to be confident, to remember that you will not leave us and that we can look forward to a future with no more suffering. Please shape us to become more like your son Jesus through our trials, that we would be able to give you thanks and credit for the work you are doing in our lives. And as those around us face suffering, may we be able to be there for them and walk with them through the valleys, pointing them to you, our shepherd, who walks with us through every dark time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.